0: Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left.
1: When did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks. Be
2: to God. Okay, this is second in a series on the parables, and it's called Oh the Stories He Threw. And who can review from last week why it's called Oh the Stories He Threw? You can't because you know Greek, Stephen. I didn't know that. Huh? Somebody tell me? Oh yeah. <laughs> Randy's pointing to Farah again. We're not gonna put Farah through anything else like we did last week. You just gotta know Randy, okay? Uh does anybody remember why we're calling it, oh, the stories he threw, and it's about the parables? Does anybody remember what parable means, the word parable? Which in the Greek is? Parabolos. Anybody know? Farah, you probably know now, don't you? Or, okay, no, no, no. Do you? What is it? To throw beside. Farah, kareem over here. There you go. All right. <laughs> uh, the word parable means to throw beside. And we talked about that wonderful definition of parable, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and Jesus could have just just spouted out, you know, a little truths, spiritual truths in a sentence or two, but what he decided to do, because it was such a, an effective means of teaching, was to throw a story beside that truth, and that's literally what a parable means, to throw beside, parabolos, bolos, you get words like ballistic, he would throw a word, or excuse me, throw a story beside some spiritual truth. Um, so appreciated that song that those guys uh, just sang. You know, when you talk about the parable of, of the sheep and the goats, it really is about servanthood, as you know. Putting it into practice, not just giving lip service to the gospel, but really doing it. Beautiful song, The Basin and the Towel. Reminds me of uh, Bruce Thielman, who for many years was a pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Pet- Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, And he preached a sermon on uh, servanthood, and he said a deacon came through the line afterwards, and he said, really, you know what, pastor, it's all about basin theology. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's really all about basin theology. You know, Pilate found a basin of water and washed his hands of it all. But Jesus came along and took a basin and washed people's feet. He said, it really boils down, pastor, to which way you're going to choose. Are you going to wash your hands of serving others, or are you going to get on your knees and help serve others? other people. So which are you going to do? Well, I want to flip that in the spirit of this two or more ministry that the deacons are so wonderfully putting out. I want to flip this. Do you run the danger sometimes of washing your hands of being served? Not serving, but being served. Letting others serve you while you are in need. You know, it's kind of vulnerable to be on the other side of foot washing. How many of y'all have actually participated in a foot washing service? And I always prefer to be on the washing side, you know, the, to have my feet washed always feels clumsy and awkward and vulnerable, and yet that's the point of it to a large extent. But it's sometimes hard to be vulnerable to other people who love you, especially when you're hurting, but it's kind of a pride issue. It reminded me of a story I just read last week, and it's a true story from a new book by Stephen Mansfield, but there's, there was a church that had this great men's ministry that was just going gangbusters, and really the driving force of this men's ministry was a guy named Taylor. And he was so involved with it, he was reaching out to the community, he was helping transform his life, he was just making such a difference. But a couple of bad things happened in, uh, in Taylor's uh, personal life that really hurt him, and he was hurting at that point. Not just that, uh, he kind of took his hurt into the church and had some conflict with some of the men in his church, particularly those who were in the men's ministry, and Long story short, he left the church. And people for a while thought, well, eventually he'll come back. He loves this place too much. Well, he didn't. And so some of the men in the church said, we need to get together and figure out what we're going to do here. We need to have a strategy to bring Taylor back. And so a bunch of these guys in the men's ministry met at a room in the church, and what they decided was this. They came up with a bold plan that they would set up camp in Taylor's front yard 150 of them doing kind of, kind of a rotating shift deal. And they would, they would camp out in his yard. And they just decided, we're not going to leave Taylor alone until he comes out. They ran electric lines through some people who came to that church, members of that church who lived near to Taylor. So they ran electric lines so they could have everything that they needed. Uh, they had uh, widescreen TVs there. They had uh, uh, smokers and grills going all the time. Great barbecue every evening. They'd have a lot of people there. They were in it for the long haul. And they had big signs all over the place, Taylor, we love you, Taylor, please come out, Taylor, we know you're in there, kind of stuff like that. Taylor didn't appreciate it, apparently, and he called the police. And and, and he calls the police on his former friends, and the police came along, and, what, and they came along twice a day for a number of days, and the police, you know, they were, they were like, you know, they would just roll their eyes like, come on, dude, why don't you come out and talk to him? But whenever uh, they would knock on the door and Taylor would come to the door and they would see Taylor, they, they, the men would just explode into applause. Hey, Taylor, we love you. Come on out and everything. And he really resented it even more. Just every day, you know, why don't you policemen do something about the... And they just thought, no, let's just, you know, keep this, keep, keep the peace. It's okay. Nobody's getting hurt anything. The anything. On the sixth day, it almost sounds biblical, and on the sixth day, however, police came to the door... And there was an extra large group of the men out there, and they just exploded into applause, just cheering on Taylor. And he finally just broke down, started crying. And he kind of sputtered out this apology, and I don't know what else to say. Well, come on down here. So he came down from the porch and embraced all these guys who just weren't going to give up on him. I mean, they had camped out, and they refused to go away. Now, I'm not saying that something like that should become a part of this two or more ministry where we camp out literally on people's yards. Okay, I'm not saying that. But I like to think of people at Brookwood being camped out and ready for other people at Brookwood who are needing help. And I know other people, too. But, but, but as a church family, I like to think of us being camped out and ready to help other people. You know? But the flip side of that is, would you be willing to let those people who are camped out come help you? That's really what we're talking about. You know, would you let them do that? And that's the angle at which I want to approach this well-known parable. I mean, you know, we, we read or we hear the story of the sheep and the goats, and we want to be like the sheep, right? I mean, they, they help other people. They don't just give lip service to ministry in the kingdom. They don't just give lip service to, to the gospel. They go out and do it. You know, help people who are thirsty, who are hungry, who, who, who are unclothed, people who are in prison. And we want to identify with those wonderful sheep, you know, who, who do so much without even thinking about it. And they reach out. What, what did Jesus say? And I remember memorizing it in the, you know, the old uh, English, inasmuch as you have done it to the, fill in the blank, least of these, the least of these. Now, some people in churches struggle with ministering to the least of these. And I'm going to say, and I have no reason to schmooze you, but I've never seen a church that does it better than we do, as far as ministering to the least. However... It might be tougher as far as us being ministered to, letting us maybe not be the least. You might, let me ask you this. When you think of the least of these, when you think of this parable, when you think of the least of these, who comes to mind? might be a poor person, homeless person, an incarcerated person, somebody who's down and out, somebody who is maybe severely depressed, somebody who might be an addict, Right? But have you ever come to mind? When you've thought of the least of these, have you come to mind to yourself? Now I think we are so fortunate to be in the context in which you and I find ourselves in this world, in this era of of world existence, that it's hard for us ever to ever to really perceive ourselves as the least the way Jesus talked about the least. But you know what? You might not ever feel like the least, but you might feel like the less. There will come times in your life where you feel less of who you are because of what? A health scare, financial uncertainty, a friendship that's gone sour, a relational matter, a family issue that's just really getting the best of you, maybe some anger that you're holding towards someone and you you just can't get rid of it, maybe just being intensely, intensely lonely. It could be something that's just really affecting you emotionally or maybe a, a private sin that you don't know really what to do with. And you may not feel like the least the way you always picture the least when Jesus utters this parable, but sometimes you can feel like the less. Picture yourself maybe not as the least, but at least as the less. Boy, that came out interesting. But really, try to do that. And when, when I do that, when I think of those times where I am less, I do go back to that wonderful passage I read at the beginning of the service in the Second Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ... Now, how are you and I most often comforted through Christ? I would say, wouldn't you say, it's through the hands and the hearts and the words of people around us, fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. I think really that's what this parable is about with the sheep and the goats. And we need the needs of people who are in need. But what if you're the other person? What if you're that person in need? I think maybe we struggle with that more here. We're a driven culture. I know, I know I talk about this a lot, but I'm right with you. We're a driven culture. We're no nonsense. We're self-sufficient. We love to get after it. And we do good at what we do here. Vulnerability might not be our strong suit. I'll be chief of sinners. You know, when I had that sinking spell and everything, which, by the way, I thought I got all the word out. All the tests are great. I'm good, right? Okay? I was dehydrated the first time. The second time, I was overworked. And... The hardest part was the weeks after that. I got tired of people being so kind to me, because I had things to do. Do you understand? Does anybody? Can you resonate with that? Stop being kind to me. I've got to go do this. I had work to do. Don't tell me to slow down, please. You know, don't tell me to take it slower. Don't tell me to be, don't tell me to be more humble. Some people did that. and I just wanted to, you know. I just no, but. You need to be more humble. And they, they were right. Every one of them was right. But I've got to be really honest with you. It was hard, very, very hard to be on that end of things. And it probably is that way for you. And so much of it is a pride thing. It was a pride thing for me, no doubt. And it's so funny, the parable that Jesus brought to me during that time, another wonderful parable he tells, it's a lot uh, more brief, which is the parable of the Pharisee and the public. And you remember that one? Basically, a Pharisee says, I thank you, my God, that I'm not like that broken person over there Because I've got it all together. The broken publican says what? Have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. And Jesus said, whose prayer did God really honor? The guy who was willing to say, I am a broken human being in need of mercy and help, and sometimes ministry. And you know, Jesus closes that parable by saying, he who exalts himself will be what? Does anybody know? Humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Exalted. Oh, God. And I, I'm the chief of sinners with that, but gosh, it's so hard for me to be vulnerable. I can be as image conscious as the next person. I'm not good at just breaking down and saying, I need help. I need help. I need care. How often do we make an idol out of our pride? How often do we do that? I think that's what we can be so guilty of with this. Jesus desires that we humble ourselves enough to be helped. And think of it this way. When you are being helped, when you are allowing other people to minister to you, think of that as a means by which you're being fueled for future ministry to someone else when they are at their time of need and hurt. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, those who seem to be weaker get greater care. But you know what? A lot of those who were weaker at the time wind up doing amazing stuff later on, and they become, as Henry Nouwen says, wounded healers. And they do amazing stuff. Um, I just found out about this this morning uh, Tim told me Tim always tells me these stories and makes me cry and I, I, I dislike you because of that but this is from one of our own and I'll try to get through it uh, made it through the first time but uh, many of you know that Glenn Love who's a wonderful guy long longtime member of this church kids grew up at this church uh, they're in Knoxville this weekend but I asked if I could share this <laughs> just this morning but uh, you know he's been battling ALS and, and uh, it's not been easy by any stretch. But I did not know this about Glenn. And, and he went with Ricky Miss Kelly down to True Vine the other day. And, and Glenn Love is a certified master gardener. Master gardener. And he's, he, he's, he's in with all these botanical gardens people over there because he's a certified master gardener, among other things. He's a very bright guy. And he goes down with, uh, Ricky Miss Kelly, I don't know if you're in here, but he goes down with Ricky Miss Kelly to Truvine the other day, and i got to tell you, this is where we're so good at serving here, and I'm sorry, but they pull in down there, and first of all, there's a couple here from Brookwood who are in the facility helping work on some things in the facility at Truvine. Vine. Uh, for those of you who don't know, True Vine is, is kind of an inner city, predominantly African American church that really reaches out to addicts. And uh, we've got a strong partnership with them. Well, well, Ricky and and Glenn get down there, and they see first of all church members of ours with really our sister church. It's almost like we're one, I think. And they're working in there, and then they see another Brookwood member who's doing a Bible study for the addicts, for the recovering addicts down there. And then Glenn and Ricky walk to this area that that once was a garden, I think, and things had grown over, and it was in real shabby condition. And here's Glenn. ALS, and he sees this, checks it out, studies on it, and he's like, I can do something with this, and he turned to Ricky and said, I'm going to feed this whole community, and so he's taking that on. Somebody who's been ministered to, and in a a scary situation, no doubt, but Glenn looked at this and said, I'm going to take the gifts I have now as a follower of Christ and as a fellow wounded healer, and I'm going to do something here. And he just said, I'm going to feed all these people around here. That's being willing to be served in order to serve. And so in the spirit of, of and I just love this, this two or more ministries thing that the deacons have been working on, and I hope you'll think about that. I hope you'll get involved on the one end of service, but really at least be open to being served as well. You know, be open to letting your feet be washed. Because isn't, isn't that to an extent what the church is about? Love the story about a different ordinance, not foot washing, but baptism. I love the story that Fred Craddock tells about the first little country church. It was a church plant that he planted way out in this rural area of East Tennessee and they always had their baptismal services at night kind of in the evening when the sun was setting beautiful you know setting up there if the weather was right still a little bit cool but they would they would you know the baptismal candidates would be in their white robes and they would go into the lake with the pastor pastor would baptize them and bring them back on the shore and then the rest of the church members would be working on a big fire big big kind of campfire kind of thing and they would give those who had just been baptized a chance to go and get some dry clothes on once they gotten dried off, got dried clothes on, they come out, and the deacon chair, whose name was Percy back then, Percy Miller was his name, he said, Percy Miller sat everybody down and went from person to person who was baptized and said, this is so-and-so, and she lives here, and this is what she does for a living, and you know her kids, these two, and uh, they're just great people. They live over the ridge over there in that beautiful little little area, and, and just kind of said some wonderful things about each one of them, so everybody will have been, in a sense, formally, and, and, and in a church way, introduced to the flock. So he would do that with every one of them. And then they did this. They wanted the, um, uh, the people who had been baptized to stay closer to the warmth of the fire. And so they had the people who had just been baptized to stand around in a circle with you know, broken spaces in it because, you know, they didn't, couldn't cover the whole circle. But they stood in a circle with their backs to the fire so they could still feel the wonderful warmth of the fire. Then the rest of the church stood outside of them, facing them in a larger, unbroken circle. And this is what they do, and this is what they still do this day, according to Craddock. Each person would go up, and they would kind of go around in a circular fashion to each one of those persons who had just been baptized, and they would say, my name is Jane and if you ever need somebody to sit for your kids, call on me. Hi, my name is Joe. We haven't met yet, but if you ever have issues with your roof or your gutter, call on me. I'll be there for you. Hello, this, this is John. My name is John. And if you ever have some car problems and I can maybe fix it, you call on me. I'll be right over. Uh, it go, went on like that. You know, hello, I'm so-and-so. And I could even go down this list that's on uh, the insert here. My name is so-and-so, and if you need... Uh, uh, help decorating for the holidays, call on me. Uh, if you need some cable and TV set up, call on me. And, and, and it was this beautiful circle of call on me. And, he, and, and Fred said it went a while, because you know, it's almost like an ordination service like we've had before, you know, where people just, it takes a while, and they just say, you can call on me, count on me. You're of this flock now, you are one with us. Let us serve you. Allow yourself to be served. And then Fred said, finally, when it was all over, they started just broke out into hymns, a cappella. And he said, it was just beautiful. He said, it just kind of kept taking me to this high, mystical place. And then he said, then some other instruments got broke out, and, and we had a square dance. I don't know if they were Baptist. I don't know. But they had a square dance. And he said, it was just incredible. Everybody just danced around, having the best time. And finally, there was just a certain point where Percy Miller, the deacon chair, said, all right, folks, God bless you, but it's time to go. And, and Fred said it was almost this wonderful, reverent, sacred silence. People just got real quiet, gathered their belongings, began walking along the dirt road there. Some of them got into cars, some of them just, just walked home. And he said it was just mesmerizing. And he, and, and he said, you know, uh, Percy hung around a bit to make sure that the fire was out. He was kicking dirt onto the glowing embers that were still there, that were still going. And, and, and finally, Percy looked over at Fred. And th- Fred had never been a part of something like this, city boy. Never been a part of something like this. He was just kind of standing there holding his Bible, just kind of, you know. And Percy looked over and said, what's wrong, preacher? And Fred just said, this was, this, was just, this was so great, you know. Just this whole thing. Y'all do this every time. Yeah, I've been doing it for years. You do it this way like baptism, and then you have the circle and the dancing and the singing and letting them know you're, you, you know, call on me kind of thing. Yeah, we do that all the time. He just said, Gosh, do you all call that something? What is that? I mean, where did y'all get that? And, and does it have a special name? What do you call that? Percy looked at Fred like, What? He said, Pastor, we call that church. Well, shouldn't we? Let's bow our heads together, and this—this is what I would love for you to do. Uh, Just take a moment, if you would, and let—let Christ be church to you here for a moment. What—what is it that you're in need of? It might not be something as concrete as having, you know, uh, uh, some painting done. It might not be something like you know cleaning up after a storm. It might not be uh, preparing a meal for 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 you, and you're in need of that. What is something that you're really in need of now? It might be peace of mind because of some situation. It might be healing because of some way that you've been hurt. It might be guidance because of some uncertainty in your life. It might be just the grief of losing someone, uh, uh, having a relational kind of breakdown with a friend that needs to be healed. You know what it is. Would you just let that come to the service and let Christ be church for you right now and let Him serve you spiritually? And would you even consider... Maybe opening yourself up to a brother or sister in Christ who could even be of help to you. Whatever it is you're struggling with, though, could you just take a minute and silently lift that up to him? Lord, we know your story of brokenness and coming to help us because we were broken sinners, but sometimes in the everydayness of life, we do not want to acknowledge our brokenness, how fragile we can be. And Sometimes it's pride, some of it's image consciousness, some of it is just not wanting to deal with it. It's too vulnerable. And yet that's what it means to be church. That's what it says in your word about comforting others with the comfort that we receive from the comfort of others through you. Enable us all the more, O oh God. Free us up to be the community, the authentic community you so desire us to be. You know, we talk all the time and we use these terms family here. We use this word tribe, but are we really there for one another as we are called to be? And are we willing to let others be tribe and family and servants to us? Forgive us when we make an idolatry of our pride and don't let others into our pain. Teach us all the more, just as Glenn is doing, to be wounded healers. That we might be more authentic disciples. We pray these things in your name. Amen.